on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Final show of 2017, but we thought we'd give you a, a taste of our new show open for 2018. Welcome aboard, my friends. You are on the block. So glad to have you here. Happy Thursday. Final show of 2017. We are heading off on our Christmas vacation after today. So, hey, why don't you get on board and join us? We also have an abbreviated edition. Of the program today because Syracuse women's basketball is coming your way just over an hour from now, about 5.15. We'll kick it to Brian Higgins for the pregame show, and then we will be off for the rest of the year. So, here's how you get in touch with the program, 437-7644. The text line is 288-0644. You can always hit me on Twitter as well, Brent Axe Media. Brent Axe Media. We will do our weekly chat with Jim Beheim. We'll save that for basically the end of the program. In the next hour at 5.05, we'll hear from the head coach, preview St. Bonaventure, look back on some things from the Buffalo game, and talk some hoops with the head coach presented by Skinny Atlas Jewelry. Great place to stop by if you're looking for that last-minute gift for the wife or the girlfriend, for the husband, whatever the case may be. Stop in there because you'll, my friends at Skinny Atlas Jewelry, they'll find you something. Because I'm a dope when it comes to that stuff. I just go in, I'm like, just just help me here. Just <laughs> just give me something. You know, does she like silver? Does she like gold? I'm like, I don't know. Just, just point me somewhere. And, of course, they probably point me to something that, you know, my wife would love because that's what they do. They're experts, man. If you're a dope like me, get in there and let them help you. It's only, what, four shopping days till Christmas? You guys better get on this stuff. And our friends at Skinny Atlas Jewelry can certainly help you with that. They will present our weekly chat with Jim Beheim about an hour from now. Other than that, listen, we're wide open, man. Wide open for you. It's the last show. I'm going to do a little bit of year in review. I'm going to kind of go through some of the bigger stories that happened in Central New York sports in 2017 some things to anticipate for 2018. Maybe I'll make a prediction or two for 2018. And I remember our last show at the end of last year, the Year in Review 2016 show, I made the prediction that Syracuse football would make a bowl game. And by golly, some of you actually listened to this show because you kept reminding me of that as we went through the football season and on Twitter and, and, you know, I would run into people like, hey, man, you said bowl game. And, 
Boy, I thought after Syracuse beat Clemson on Friday the 13th that two more wins would be theirs and they could finally get to a bowl game and we would be talking about that now. And I hope a year from now we are discussing that as we get ready to duck away for our weekly vacation if they'll have me back here next year and if we're still here a year from now, another great year here at Galaxy Communications and ESPN Radio Syracuse. I hope a year from now we are having that conversation. Bowl practices behind us, another successful signing day, and they're about to play in a bowl game. A loss they didn't. And I think that 2017, and we're going to go through them all here and kind of remind you of some of those big stories, and I'll probably forget about a few that you can remind me of. 2017, to me, will kind of feel like the year Syracuse sports came up just short. And what I mean by that is, let's let's go back on this a little bit. I just mentioned the football team. Football team comes out, and the expectation is, hey, listen, this is the toughest schedule in college football, according to some experts. If not, it's certainly on the list. You went 4-8 and eight in 2016. Just try and improve on that. And if you cross the finish line with six wins somehow in that impossible schedule, everybody would have said that's a successful season. And Syracuse comes out, and Scott Schaefer comes back and lights that victory cigar, and they lose to Middle Tennessee State, and everybody says, whoa, this isn't going to go well. But then that went over Clemson. And I distinctly remember being at Shaughnessy's for the pregame show, and it sounds revisionist now, hindsight being twenty twenty. it sounds easy for me to say this, but I remember doing it on the air that night. It just felt like something big was going to happen. It just felt right. It just, it just, I just had this weird feeling, and we described it on the air, and people were coming up to me at Shaughnessy's, and it wasn't just, you know, hey, root for the home team kind of thing. Like, they felt it. I just remember talking to one guy in particular. I, w- I wish I could remember the, the, this gentleman's name, so we can give him a shout-out on the air. He's like, look, Brad, I was there, Nebraska, 1984. I brought the karma with me. They're going to do this tonight. And they did it, and they beat Clemson. So no matter what happened after that, That is a moment in time that is one of the biggest upsets in the history of Syracuse football, certainly since Nebraska in 84. And would you rather focus on that or what didn't happen, that they didn't make a bowl game? And despite the fact that they had the same record in 2017 as they did in 2016, you look for the improvement, something we talked to Dino Babers about just on the show yesterday. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, Coach. You can find that at ESPNSyracuse.com or subscribe to ESPN Syracuse and iTunes and Google Play. You can get the daily podcast of the show and the big interviews like that and our weekly chat with Jim Beheim sent right to your iPhone or iPad or Google Play and listen to it on your time. So the football team ultimately came up short of what they showed us they could accomplish by beating Clemson. The basketball team. Now think about this. The football team has this amazing moment where they knock down Clemson. The basketball team struggles in non-conference play. Struggle on the road. 2-11 on the road overall. Some losses in the RPI category, over 100. But when they beat Duke, when John Gillen hit that shot, stone cold, right? The call from Matt Park. That was a third top 10 win. And you looked ahead and you said, they got this. They've got a good enough resume. And what was not 
a very competitive bubble. Syracuse seemed to stand out just enough that you could put him in, you could justify that, and you'd be fine with it. But they didn't make the tournament. So it was the ultimate contrast of what an amazing win, what an amazing moment, what something that you'll remember. You beat Duke on a buzzer beater like that, called the bank, bing, bang, but they didn't make the tournament. Okay. The Syracuse lacrosse team played one of the most heart-stopping seasons I have seen from that team or really any team in a season in years. Think of that consecutive string of one-goal games that they played, and they won a bunch of those games. They beat Notre Dame. They beat Virginia. They beat Hopkins in a heart-stopper in overtime, and it just felt like something was right. The chemistry was there. Their goaltending, face-off, scoring, leadership, it just felt right. They were number one in the country for a lot of the season, You say, this is the year. And you kind of started to notice at the end of the year, it's like, wait a minute, this could be the first group, the first class for Syracuse lacrosse that would not make the Final Four since Jimmy Carter was president, since 1979. And they get in the tournament and they lose to Towson. They lose by three and they come up short. And there's no other way to put that. They, that was, that's a disappointment when it is Syracuse lacrosse. All things considered, that's a disappointing season. And parity has taken over college lacrosse, and there's better teams, and it's not just you know Syracuse and Hopkins and Princeton, Virginia, and two other teams. It is as widely competitive as it ever has been. But they came up just short. The Syracuse crunch went through a litany of injuries and call-ups, and constant roster movement. Yet, Ben Grew, in his rookie season as head coach, chartered that ship, and you look up at the end of the year, and they win the North Division. Now, they had to hold off Toronto feverishly to do it. But they did it. And then they get in the playoffs, and they keep advancing and scratching and clawing and coming back, and Providence coming in with this unbelievable goaltender, but Syracuse kind of just brushes them aside and Next thing you know, they're in the Calder Cup Finals again. And they're in the Calder Cup Finals against Grand Rapids, the team that beat them four years ago. And redemption was here. Remember the finish hashtag that the Crunch had? But they came up just short. And they came up short in a sense of, in the way that things go in minor league hockey, those kind of teams only come around every few years. If you're in a good organization and you have a good parent club, which Syracuse happens to do, now this team has turned things around. They won 10 in a row. They look like they can compete again here. There's a bunch of, you know, games and four months to go here, and you know what can happen in a minor league hockey season. It's a very young team, and they are overachieving at this point. But that felt like a Calder Cup team, and it sounded harsh, and I remember saying it at the end. I said this was a great season, great memories, had a ball, love when the crunch get the spotlight. There's nothing like playoff hockey, but it was disappointing that they didn't win the cup because it just felt like that window was there and you could see it and you could taste it. So there's a lot of great moments here. There's a lot of great games that we watch, that we experience, great moments, but there's a balance there. So if anything, I don't want to harp on the negative. What this shows is it's like the old ABC Wide World of Sports thing, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. You had the thrill of victory and the agony of not just defeat, but coming up short of things 
that let's let's just live in a different universe for a moment. Think of what this year could be. You beat Clemson and you make a bowl game. You beat Duke, and despite your two and eleven road record and your RPI and, and the things that held you back, you get in the tournament. And when you get in the tournament, weird things happen. But instead, you lost to Old Miss in the NIT. But let's say you get in the tournament. That would have been an accomplishment in and of itself because they would have earned that bid. Let's say the lacrosse team gets back to the Final Four, maybe even let's live dangerously here, wins the national championship again. And the Crunch win two more games. All it took was two more games. And they win the Calder Cup. Now the Syracuse Chiefs on the field were not successful. They were one of the worst teams in minor league baseball. But they produced one of the great promotions we've ever seen from them, the Syracuse Salt Potatoes. That took over this town, and people, I mean, there's going to be Christmas gifts all over this great country of ours for people that bought those shirts and those hats and the gear, and what a unique item that is. And then we learned that the New York Mets bought this team and what that could mean for the future, and there's a lot of big stuff that happens this year. I'm going to go through some more that we haven't mentioned here, but every year is full of big events and big stories, and it seems like I, I do this year in review show every year. I'm like, what a year it was. And they always are. But each year kind of has its own unique theme in a way. This year is, it's just that highs and the lows. And it just felt like there wasn't any in between. There wasn't any middle ground. But that's the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. That is sports in a nutshell right there. So we're going to go through some more that we did not hit on. Some of the big stories that we discussed and were headlines here in central New York and going through and looking at this, and I wrote a story about this that will appear on Syracuse.com next week, and I'm like, man, I forgot about that, I forgot about that, that was a big deal, and you get to the end of the year and you start looking back, and there's just so much that happens on a daily basis now that we consume and digest and discuss, and you're like, man, that was this year. <laughs> Sometimes you look back like, wow, that that was this year, that happened. And we will discuss it all. Phones are wide open for you. If you want to get into current events, Syracuse is playing St. Bonaventure tomorrow, and you want to talk some hoops or, you know, catch up on football if you didn't get a chance to get in on signing day yesterday and what Dino Baber said. I'm wide open today. This is my last show of the year. Whatever you want to do, I'm game for it, man. I'm game. And, again, we're off the air in an hour because we're going to cut out a little early because I've had way too much eggnog, and I'm just not going to make it that far. No, we got Syracuse women's basketball coming up at 5.15, so you got an hour to get some last thoughts in here before we duck away for our holiday break. 437-7644, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. You can use the text line at 288-0644. I'll kind of continue to go through some year in review and look back on some of the bigger things we discussed and that were headlines here in central New York, and Jim Beheim will join us at 5.05. Stay right there. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On The Block with Brent Axe. Yeah, baby, welcome back. On The Block is presented by Tag Mechanical, your Mitsubishi ductless split expert. Let's go right to the phone, shall we? Open phones for you. Whatever you want to talk about today, last show of the year, we'll kind of do a little year in review. We'll talk some sports. We'll hear from Jim Beheim later, and then it's eggnog time. 437-7644 to hop on board. How about Mark in North Syracuse on the block with us here? Mark, what's up, man? Hey, hey, Brett. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, first off, 
just want to wish you and yours a very happy holidays. Spend some good time with some good people. I'm sure you will. Same to you and yours, my friend. Thank you. Second, thanks for not being a spoiler on Star Wars. Huge fan. <laughs> I'm bursting at the seams. I want to, but uh, I, I am holding back. I am holding okay. back. I've got thoughts, though. Okay, I'm sure. On to my topic, quick, quickly. You had uh, said the Chiefs were best team in football week five. I called in and said, wait a minute. Yes, you did. Get get your thoughts on their chance in the playoffs. You warned me. Now they're in the playoffs now. The old, if the season ended today, they would play the Titans in the wild card round. So we'll see how that plays out because Tennessee's got some work to do to ensure that bid. But, Mark, you're a Chiefs fan. You know, what happened there? You had Alex Smith as an MVP candidate. They were looking great, looking like a team that was going to push for the top seed. And then, the bottom fell out, and they kind of made up for it. So what happened in the middle part of that sandwich for this Chiefs team to, to slip like that? Okay, what what I saw was our safeties and secondary decided they wanted to be receivers and decided not to tackle. And our offensive line decided that they just wanted to block two yards instead of three yards. And for the most part, they were pulling it back together. I, I simple man, simple game. When you follow the rules, that's all I can say. And it was interesting that Andy. And thanks for the call, Mark. And again, happy holidays to you and yours, my friend. Appreciate you calling in and setting me straight on those Chiefs earlier in the year. And Andy Reid gave up play calling duties, and and I felt like okay, Kansas City's been so close, and they're known for their playoff failures. But this felt like a team for a good five, six, seven weeks of the season that was going to break that. Now they're just kind of holding on for dear life for that playoff bid. Speaking of which, look, there's there's only one thing I want for Christmas. And I've gone back and forth on this all year, and I kind of felt like this was a rebuilding year, and what, what's Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean and this new administration going to do? And, and the Bills just kept fighting, scratching, and clawing. And, and here it is, and i got it right here in front of me. If the season ended today, they're in the playoffs. The P word. Something they have not done in 17 years. And they would be playing Jacksonville, and again, some things have to play out in their favor, and they've got to earn it and keep winning here and you know, look, the fact that it's week 15, week 16 in the NFL, and they're still in it. It's all you can ask for, but now I can taste it. Now we're right there. It's just like, I don't care what they do in the playoffs. I just want to know what that feeling is like again for the first time in 17 years. Santa, that's all I want. That's all I want. The Bills in the playoffs. Can they do it? Will they make it happen? Will we, we, will we come back in the new year, in 2018, full-throated, as loud as can be, the pills make me wanna shout, your heels up and celebrate throw your hands up and shout, throw your a playoff bit? That's all you get. You don't get the whole song unless they get there, right? You can do it, boys. So what are some of the bigger things we talked about this year? I mentioned a bunch in the monologue, but Tyler Lydon gets drafted by technically the Utah Jazz, who then immediately traded him to the Denver Nuggets. And this seems to be a yearly conversation, and we're going to be having it again about Tyus Battle in 2018. If there's one firm prediction that I can make right now in 2018, money in the bank, and that is Tyus Battle will leave Syracuse and Tyus Battle will be a first-round pick. 
in the 2018 NBA draft, but there will be those that say it's better off to stay in the back and forth and the discussions that we have and whether that's good or bad for Syracuse and the machine that it is. And look, here's what I know. Cut through all the BS. Kentucky, Duke, Syracuse. That is the list of the teams that have put the most first-round draft picks consecutively into the draft in the last seven years. Those three, that is it. And while the other two programs have Final Fours and championships to show for that, Syracuse has a Final Four to show for that, two of them, as a matter of fact, 2013-2016, in that stretch. Ultimately, when you are recruiting, and, and that is a story that you know we, we've got to touch on here, it's hard not to look over the horizon and look at next season, as good as this has played out so far, and this is a 2017-18 Syracuse basketball season that could get very interesting, and I think they, they're ahead of the game a little bit right now, and we'll see how that gets recalibrated next year and, and when they get into ACC play. But there has been a consistent stream of players that have been taken in the first round, whether one and done or two and done, and that's a good thing. That is your number one recruiting tool. Final fours and some of the great things about college basketball help and get talent, and not everybody goes to the NBA. But you want elite talent, you want to be in that conversation. You're going to get me the league, and Syracuse, along with Kentucky and Duke, is getting kids to the league. So Leiden became the latest, went 24th. Hey, we haven't seen it quite pan out yet. And there was a lot of discussion about how good of a pro he would be. And, you know, there was discussion when we did this year in review in 2016 that he should have left after his freshman year, and that didn't happen, and he came back. And he spent most of this season so far in the G League, but has been called up by Denver for, I think, the last, what, six games or so, and hasn't played a lot, but he's just kind of waiting for his opportunity. So there's still a lot of, you know, the jury's still out on that. But that was big, and that was always a lively discussion. OCC wins another national championship after a year off. The Herkimer guy turning OCC lacrosse into a dynasty. We mentioned, you know, a few things here, but how salt potato fever took over this town. The lacrosse team didn't make a Final Four. Scott Schaefer and his victory cigar. I mean, that right there was... We knew it would be hyped, and we knew there would be a lot of back and forth on that. And Dino, as I, I think he handles a lot of these things well said, look, it's going to be a chess match, no question about it. He knows this team. He knows this defense. But for Middle Tennessee State to not only win this game, but for Schaefer to stroll out of here with that victory cigar, what was very telling was the, how the fans treated him. Because to get to that coaching box, you got to walk through the fans. you got to walk up those steps, and all he got was fist bumps and high fives and attaboys and pats on the back. And, you know, look, Schaefer got fired, and he got fired by a guy who's no longer here, who was here for eight months, and went off to Minnesota. He left on good terms in in the sense of winning a game, and with the fans, there was a little bit of back and forth and bitterness with media and some things like that, and you know, with certain people, and, and you know, things don't end well always. But for the most part, there there just had to be this little part of you, as a Syracuse football fan, that was happy for that. You don't want to see your team lose, and that was a bad loss. And in a year where they went 4-8, and eight, that's when you grab a red pen. You circle that game and say, you got to win that, especially at home. If you want to be a bowl team, you got to take care of business. But that's football. The schedule never goes the way we think. And this year was 
one of the greatest examples of that I can think of. Because we get that schedule every year. We go win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. And we start talking ourselves into what the record should be and who the games are that you should beat and who the teams you're probably going to lose to. Well, that got turned upside down this year. Because no one had Syracuse losing to Middle Tennessee State and beating Clemson. But that happened, right? And they came oh so close to beating Miami, beating LSU, grabbing a couple more of those wins. So the Schaefer thing was big. A couple other headlines, which, you know, aren't always sports talk radio sexy, but things that we discussed. How about Brittany Sykes? Highest women's basketball draft pick out of Syracuse. All-time leading scorer. Third out, third to all, I can talk. Third all-time leading scorer. Most wins. And she left here with two major season-ending injuries. And was... She should have won Rookie of the Year, didn't, but was one of the best rookies in the WNBA. That was a big story this year. Syracuse basketball on the court was a story and everything we discussed there, but recruiting was so big. And one of the great moments we had on this show this year was, so we're on the air on a, it was a Friday, correct me if I'm wrong, Seth, and Cole Swider, of all people, commits to Villanova over Syracuse, and we discuss it. And I just kind of did this monologue about how, look, it's going to be okay. Syracuse basketball always comes out on the right end, and we cited a few examples of, you know, under-the-radar guys that turned into amazing prospects. And Hakeem Warwick, I think, was a specific example that we made there. And we go to break, and Seth comes in, and he points at the screen. He says, well, you have a caller. And I look up at the screen, and it's Jim Beheim. And Bayheim wanted to come on the show and, you know, on short notice, what are we going to do? How's this going to go? And he came on and, you know, in a rare bit of like a clock is right twice a day type of thing, he agrees with me, right? And what a surprise that was. Get on the block with Brent Axe. You never know who's out there in radio land listening and who wants to call in. And always a pleasure to welcome on the program, ladies and gentlemen, Syracuse head coach Jim Beheim. You know, I was riding home listening, and I tell you, I had to call and tell you how right on you were with your analysis of what recruiting's about. And I warned Jim at the time, we have that on tape, and we save it for occasions just like this. But it was a great discussion. And it just, it was common sense. It's like, look, they'll be all right here. Little did I know how right that discussion would further be when they signed Darius Basley and got a commitment from him that weekend. And maybe Beheim kind of had that ace up his sleeve, knowing that kid was visiting and they had a good shot at him. And yeah, we lost this guy, but the guy we're going to get is better. Yeah, Basley is one of the highest rated recruits that they've had in 10 years. And you have Jalen Carey, but you also have the intrigue of one Buddy Beheim signing. And Buddy Beheim corresponds with Jim Beheim staying, you would at least think, as long as he stays here. Because remember what this was supposed to be? This was supposed to be it. Now the time is near. This was supposed to be the Jim Beheim retirement tour. This was supposed to be his last year. And then in 2018 the handover to the coach in waiting was supposed to take place. Well, the day after the season ended, that all changed when Mike Hopkins took the job at the University of Washington, and 
What a weekend that was. So Syracuse loses to Old Miss in the NIT. Hopkins leaves the next day. And then it was either that Monday or that Tuesday. It was pretty immediate. The announcement came out and then they had the press conference. John Wildhack, Jim Beheim, contract extension, and life as we know it went back to normal, if you will. There was a three-year window there where you're like, this is weird, and he's the coach and waiting. And, or, and But you just always felt like that somehow, some way that wasn't going to happen. And then there was the nice clean break, and Mike got the amazing opportunity to coach at Washington. And, you know, we heard from him and, and what he said, and he wanted his own opportunity and his own chance to run a program, and he couldn't blame him for that. And everything just kind of evened out, right? So next year, you've got Jalen Carey, Darius Basley, Buddy Beheim, who can shoot the rock and has always wanted to play here, and all the storylines that will come from that. But don't forget that moment, too, when Syracuse started the season against Cornell and young Jimmy Bayhive comes in first play right in the corner with Dad in the screen, in the shot, ba-boom, three-pointer. That was, uh, that was a great moment. That was a great moment. That was fun. And next year, it'll be Bayheim versus Bayheim and Bayheim, and one of the great recruiting classes that Syracuse has had in recent years will be here. Not that we're brushing aside this year and this team and what they can accomplish because that's a story that is continuing to write itself. O'Shea Brissett has emerged, and Frank Howard is improving, and Tyus Battle is everything we thought he would be and more, and if this team can stay healthy and kind of navigate its way through a very tough ACC slate, that could be a tournament team, which at the beginning of the season, when they lost Torian Thompson and then eventually lost Geno Thorpe, and you say, wow, there's not a lot of depth there, and can they get through this, and they're inexperienced, and they, they need time to come together. Well, so far... As we get ready to flip the calendar, not only to 2018, but to ACC play, they're passing every test. 437-7644, Brent Dax Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. So we'll continue kind of our year in review, look back. Phones are open for you. It's our last show of the year, so anything you want to talk about, we are game to do that. And then we'll talk to Jim Beheim in our weekly interview with the head coach, preview St. Bonaventure and more top of the hour. And programming note, we are ducking out a little early today. If you are listening in Utica and our great friends in the Mohawk Valley, we got to do a show in Utica this year, and we're going to do more of that in 2018. And we're going to do that pretty early in 2018. We're going to be out there, what is it, Seth? January 12th, I believe, somewhere in that range. Crunch, Comets are playing. We're going to do the show in Utica and go to the Comets game and hang with our buddies in Utica, and that's going to be great. But a big thank you to everybody in Utica. Because as you know, I did radio out there. I have family there still. I, I still make it to the Mohawk Valley often and never forget where you come from and your roots there. And the fact that this show is simulcast out there every day just warms my heart. And I thank everybody in the Mohawk Valley that takes time to listen to us on ESPN Radio Utica Rome. Uh, programming note for you, though, we're ducking out at 5 o'clock for you. Here in Syracuse, we're ducking out at about 10 after, quarter after to get to women's basketball, but Utica, you'll have a break uh, and we'll uh, end at five, just so you know. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back with more of our year in review. Last show of 2017. Stay right there. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Ah, uh, yeah, sometimes the uh, bane of my existence in 2017, the 80s bump. We'll have to. Uh, Maybe eliminate some of these, like this one, and add some good stuff into the 80s bump in 2018. 
But that became a permanent part of the show this year. Hot Takes was always a fun segment. Always enjoyed doing it. And uh, for one last time in 2017. When do you hit me with that fancy open? Let's make it happen. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for Hot Takes on the Block. I uh, tweeted about this yesterday. I think we mentioned it briefly on the show. And it's one of these things that I can explain this to you. It's probably better to listen to it. If you missed Dan Lebitard, and this was here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, so if you missed it on his show yesterday, you have got to listen to the. We have a clip of it. But I would encourage you on your own time to listen to this entire interview because it is one of the most intriguing interviews I've ever heard on this radio station. And I mean that with all sincerity. Dan Lebitard versus MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred. Here's just a taste of it. Rob, were you aware of Jeter's plan to trade players and slash payroll? You know, it's interesting. Um, yes or no, please? Don't. Yes or no, please? You know, I'm happy to do yes or no's. You can add, you can I'm elaborate afterward. I just want to know if you were aware but of that plan. Like you appro- if you did you approve a plan that had slash payroll again we, for South we Florida? Do, we do not approve um, operating decisions by any ownership, R- new Rob, owners, Rob. current owners, or not. Rob. And as a result, the answer to that question is no. I'm not going to be deposed. Like, this is some adversary thing. You want to ask me questions, I'll answer them the way that I want to answer them. Okay, but if that's, that's not fine. good enough, we can move on. No, that's fine. I'll do it that way. But you can't come. You're coming on here and saying that you weren't aware of Jeter's plan to trade players and slash payroll? Like, they, we're starting with a lie, Rob. Like, that's where we're starting. Like, you no, can't I'm tell me you're not aware of that. I'm going to have you call me a liar. I explained to you that we do not. We do not get involved in operating level decisions in the ownership process, the ownership approval process. Clubs make those local decisions. Rob, were you made were you aware of his plan though? Were you no. aware of it? No. Wow. And that's just a taste of it and that entire interview went back and forth like that and Levitar jumping in and challenging him, calling him a liar, back and forth. That Derek Jeter situation has turned into one of the more unique stories in 2017 and will certainly be one to watch in 2018. Because, look, Jeter could not have been more successful as a player, could not be more beloved in New York. And while he was boring with the media, never did the wrong thing in the media. Yeah, there's the thing with the baseballs that he gave his gifts and page six tried to do what they could do to get some dirt on Derek Jeter. But I think Jeter's learning the hard way what it's like to own a team, to run a team, and this is the third time that the Miami slash Florida Marlins have purged, have done a fire sale. There's one of the more unique circumstances in professional sports. They've also won the World Series twice. They had this new taxpayer, taxpayer-funded stadium, which was supposed to kind of save baseball there, and it kind of did the opposite. And it's like a, going to that baseball stadium is like being on a weird acid trip. And to hear that back and forth between Levitard and the commissioner, I look, I, I Dan Levitard's show is an acquired taste. But if you really listen to it and really dig into it and hear 
And I was about to say how seriously they don't take themselves, but then he will do an interview like that and challenge people in authority. Like he is just in the ultimate, I don't give a bleep mode at this point, maybe because John Skipper is out and and they're kind of in between <laughs> leaders right now. Levitard's like, let it fly, baby. It was That was an incredible interview. And if you missed it yesterday, uh, you can go to ESPNSyracuse.com or ESPNRadio.com and, and hear the whole thing. But, uh, I mean, that was here on the last hot take segment of the year. That's hot. The ultimate hot take. And, listen, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this guy because I passed a LeVar Ball rule on this show. But, you know, as we mentioned briefly yesterday, I heard more about the stupid, dopey league that he's doing this year. And it's, look, look. What you do with your own kids is your business. You want to send them to Lithuania. You want to start your big baller brand and do all these things and take advantage of all the media that people want to give you. Then whatever. Do your thing, bro. But the minute you start putting the future of other people's kids in your hands, it's buyer beware. You know, if you are going to send your kid or if you are going to make the choice as an 18 or 19-year-old to go play in LeVar Ball's basketball league instead of going to college basketball or doing a route that will not take you through, you know, that clown show, well, that's your choice. This is America, and you can do what you want to do. But I got a real problem with LeVar Ball now starting to mess with other people's lives and eligibility and this, I would think, is going to be a grand failure. I don't know who's going to fund this league that he claims up to, you know, players could get paid up to $10,000. And 2018 could be weird in the sense, you know, things like this and the XFL could be coming back. And think how huge the anthem protest was this year in football and how that lingered and how that was supposed to just destroy football. And, it, yeah, it made a dent and piss some people off and they stopped watching. But... Boy, 2017, you want to talk about the ultimate, you know, yay democracy. Yay democracy. Exactly. Stick to sports. Maybe 2018 will be the year, like, we get back to sports and all this stuff that intertwines and goes, you know, given who's in in the White House, I I highly doubt that's going to happen. But this was, you know, if you really had to look back on it, it was hard to stick to sports at times because of how the worlds collide. And, And we're talking about ESPN, right? And all their social media gaffes and Jamel Hill and all that stuff. Like, man, we we got real on this show a lot this year. Maybe 2018 will, will be more fun. We'll see about that. I kind of always feel that way at the end of the year. You're optimistic about what's to come, but we shall see. Uh, this is an interesting bite. Now, we played you the audio the other day. So Cam Newton's on the field. Clay Matthews calls out a play, and Cam Newton, as NFL Films captured, Said, oh, you've been watching film, huh? Well, watch this. Here's what Cam Newton had to say about that. I'm not quiet on the field, let's just say that. I think a poll came out, and I was surprised how high I was, you know, for a trash talker. I just talk to people. I don't trash talk. I just I talk. I, that's just how I get myself going. I would prefer a person come to me and, and get me going saying something that I can't do rather than praising me or not talking to me at all. I was more surprised because I know exactly what play he was thinking. And when you when you kind of compare the signals, that's extremely impressive. You can guarantee one thing about it, that we're going to have a, a, a new signal meeting a couple times this week. Um, we don't want the Buccaneers to get any ideas. 
Look, I'm not the biggest Cam Newton fan always. I thought his Super Bowl postgame thing was was childish and not what a franchise quarterback should do and some other things he's pulled, that comment he made about that reporter this year and what, what do you know about football, right, and that whole thing. But that was awesome. And it just goes to show you that, you know, not only is he a natural athlete and can make plays, he can read the field, he can read defenses. This is not just somebody who's running around out there making plays because he's the best athlete on the field. He's a quarterback. And Carolina was in a hole for a while, but looking much better at this point. If the season ended today, Panthers and Saints in the wild card round, that would be a terrific game. So I say, what about Cam Newton? That guy can play. That guy can read a defense, and he's interesting. He's interesting to talk about, and I don't mean just his hats either. We were talking about Derek Jeter a moment ago, 437-7644. Jake wanted to discuss that here on the block. What's happening, man? Hey, Brett. Love your show, and I love your articles, man. You're a great writer. Hey, thank you so much. Um, Appreciate that. As for Dan Levitard calling out Derek Jeter directly, he's a 5% owner of the Marlins. So, like, this is not all Derek Jeter. I'm, I'm just sick of people using him as the face of the Marlins' destruction. Um, and i got to make it quick because I'm driving, but LeVar, have you seen the movie Ace Ventura? Sure, Absolutely. I would rather have a conversation with Ace Ventura's butt than LeVar Ball. Okay, I'm sick of LeVar Ball. He's, he's, I feel so sorry for his children. I pray to God. If I ever do anything like this to my own children, please just put me in jail. Thanks for taking my call. Jake, great call, and a Happy New Year, and a Merry Christmas, and all that uh, to you and yours. What's the matter? Afraid I'm going to make a stink? Have I seen Ace Ventura? Lace is out. Come on now. Now, uh, with yeah, look. You're telling me that sending your kids to play professional basketball in Lithuania is not a great life plan? I mean, if that's not a great life plan, I don't know what is. The Jeter thing, see, the issue with that is they have put him out there. He is the public face. He did the the town hall the other night. He's doing the press conferences. He's doing the interviews. He is kind of the face of this new ownership group. While he is not the primary owner, he's the one they've shoved out there. Look who we got, Derek Jeter, Mr. Baseball, is going to come save us. So it's it's an interesting contrast there. And I don't think Levitard focused solely on Jeter, but it's one of those you can't have it both ways kind of thing. Jeter got how about Jeter against Marlins, man? Did you see that the other night? I got to get to a break here, but <laughs> that Marlins man pulled, and I don't want to misquote him here, but he basically pulled the "Do you know who I am?" line. Yeah, you're the annoying guy in your stupid, dopey orange jersey that somehow gets all these tickets to these events and annoys the hell out of us. And not only is he that guy at random sporting events in his dopey Marlins jersey, he's on his phone the whole time tweeting about himself. You know what I want in 2018? Less of you, sir. We'll break. We will come back. We've only got a few minutes left here because we got Jim Beheim top of the hour, and then we're going to send it to Syracuse Women's Basketball. Hang in there. Thank you. Bye-bye.